Sorry. In the moment. That's how did you know that was our song? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was funny. No, I'm sort of laughing Sorry. inside. A little, a little blushing. There. Good morning. Good morning. Oh. How you guys doing? Good. Sort of. It's okay. It's now okay they feel awkward. Honest. So that's all okay. Right. We all do. So. Oh, we'll jump into it, okay? Sounds How's good. that sound? Okay. 24 years ago, this past week, young Derek knelt down in the sandy beaches of California and with a combination of trepidation and adoration, asked this young lady to be his wife. And my life has never been the same. And all I didn't, for the best. I didn't have to think very long for that answer. It was a very, very, very quick and easy yes. But in that, that morning, I had breakfast with her father to ask for permission. That had more trepidation <laughs> than adoration. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that juxtaposition that we experience in the journey of love between being afraid and trusting. It's all yours. All right. So um, Song of Songs has been a tremendous um, what do I call it, journey for me. It kind of been a, ch- uh, a portion of the Bible I just kind of flipped past and um, just really been enjoying the dive into this unusual part of our Bible. And, uh, and I think it's just so beautiful. So we're just going to jump right into it because we could just talk for hours, but I'm not going to do that. So um, we're going to just start reading. And so if I could get up on there. Perfect. And I would love to have everybody read with me. Um, And so we are reading out of Song of Songs 6 together. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned, that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the bed of spices, to graze in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's And my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. And I'm going to ask you to repeat with me out loud. I am my beloved and my beloved's is mine. And we're going to say it one more time. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And I want us all to have that coming out of our mouth because we don't talk like this. We don't hear this kind of talk in our world. And I can promise you, it hasn't gotten more awkward or more hard to understand than when it was first given to God's people by King Solomon. And not only is it a hard concept to get in our world today, there were other gods at that time that set themselves up by fear through manipulation, through sacrifice. And we have in the Song of Songs this God that presents himself, giving himself to his people. This God, I'm calling today our God in the garden. And this is the God that I want to get to know. 
When you read through the New Testament, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's criticizing them. He's like, you're my, you're the ones teaching the people. Don't you know? And when I'd read this, I thought, how are they supposed to know? Like all the laws and stuff they're teaching, that's kind of what was in the Old Testament. And Jesus is like, no, you're missing it. If you are cutting him down to laws to be followed, you do not understand this God who created you who is pursuing you, who is madly crazy in love with you. So I just wanted to establish, where do we go to find this kind of deep love? We know we go to the garden, this garden that he has created. So will you enter with me this morning into the space of our beloved, into this garden where we know we can find him and where we can bring others into this space of total intimate love. Yes. And one of the cool things about this is I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. It's, sorry, he'll get chance to talk in a little bit. He's, he's patient. She's fantastic. Why would you <laughs> want to hear me talk? So it's actually really interesting the way that it's, it's in the Hebrew and don't judge my Pacific Northwest Hebrew, but it's, it's actually just two words. So it's Ani Dodd, which is I am my beloved, and then it's actually Dodd, Ani. My beloved is mine. Ani is a possessive word. It's I, me, mine. And, and it's actually, I love that, Carrie, you said that in, in uh, inviting us to the communion table, you use the word I am. That, that word Ani, that possessive, it's used 129 times. When God introduces himself to Moses in the flame and says, you're going you're gonna to liberate my people. He says, Ani, it's I am, it's who he is. And so I love that he brings that into our identity. When we get to say, I am my beloved, my beloved is mine. It's a reflection. Ani Dodd, Dodd Ani. It's like a mirror. And when we know who we are in that love of God, we reflect that love of God when we take it into the world. So the next slide, if I could get up here, Eden Ephesians, do we have it? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I love reading the scripture. If you would read it with me. So that, so that Christ, Christ may dwell, dwell in your hearts heart through faith, faith that, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that that you may be filled with with all the fullness of God. God. I love this scripture. um, It's this picture of authenticity. There's absolutely no place that we can go to hide from the love of God. There's nothing we can hide behind. There's nothing we can do, say, participate in, believe that disqualifies us from the love of the God of the garden who is actively pursuing us. And it is absolutely our strength, and it is his gift to us. And um, I want to take this moment. All I did write in my notes is just to be honest because I didn't want to rehearse this. But there's a lot of things that I can do that separate me on my end from the love of God. It doesn't mean it's not there, but I, 
I am blocking my own access of stepping into it. And it's, it's just my knowing because he's told me in Ephesians, it's there and it's deeper than I can understand. And so when I was thinking about this this morning, I was thinking sometimes I don't even know how to present myself to God because I've, I've twisted myself into a shape I don't even recognize. You know, you get caught in, in performance and just pretense, manipulation, just, just things because I'm trying to survive or trying to be something that maybe I was never designed to be. And now I'm supposed to give myself to God, like this God in the garden who's pursuing me. Well, it sounds great. sounds really good. But that kind of intimacy requires a vulnerability that I don't even feel like I have to give. And um, so Gregory of Nyssa says this so well. He addresses this. And he says, Christ is the artist, tenderly wiping away all the grime of sin that disfigures the human face and restoring God to the image of its full beauty. God's image to its full beauty. And I just think of that Ani Dod, Dod Ani. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. I don't have to worry about it. There's not a thing that I need to clean up. I can bring my twisted, manipulated, pre... Oops, I put my little Kleenex in my pocket because my nose is a faucet. Okay. But I can... I can bring the stuff where I'm like, God, I don't even know who I am. You say that you love me and you pursue me and that I look like goats going down the mountainside and I want to believe it. But you do. <laughs> so beautiful. Oh, thank you. And I, and I really want, I want, I want that, but sometimes I don't even know how to, to be that. And I love that I can bring that crumpled self and he'll wipe away the grime and I don't, I don't have to worry about the grime. And he, as the beautiful physician artist, comes in healing all the things of me that aren't designed to be there, aren't the things of love, love's kind. If I try to be Derek, I can't come fully to God. I can, but he's going to go, you know what? I actually set up Derek to do that. You don't have to carry that. And it's a freeing. So it's, it's not even bad behavior, but it's behavior. It's, it's thoughts I was never intended to carry. And so I'm just, I'm saying, bring that to God. Let's enter that space of sitting there with him. And um, so we're going to go with another verse, if that's okay. We don't mind reading scripture here, right? And you don't mind reading with me. So, So this one, is it up? Is it up? Here we go. So God is love. And whoever whoever abides in love abides abides in God and God God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So this is really important because we're talking about the kind of love in Song of Songs that only comes from the kind of intimacy that allows you to open up your heart and all your vulnerabilities. So this is where it gets real. This is where God, the great physician, comes in and gently, mercifully, lovingly takes us to a place that we don't have to fear. 
There is no fear. We have confidence for the day of judgment. In our culture, our theology, and this is, I'm, I'm just thinking of Western Christianity. Western thought theology has actually kind of moved that concept of God as our healer into the courtroom. And this happened about the 18th century with the age of enlightenment. And science and proof became really, really important. And so if you can prove something is true, it is true. And so we kind of merged our theology with our culture at that point. And it was at that point, and, and Eastern theology kind of kept God in the hospital as our healer. We moved him into to judge. And I see that this gets kind of woven into my beliefs and into my theology. And I want to address that today in myself and maybe some of you all that carry this. But, but, um, but God, is, God is a healer. And so when it talks about his judgment, it's not a gavel. It's a judgment of what's holding us back. What's that grime? So anyway, uh, that's, where, that's where my portion of the notes oh. end. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I don't do transition well. I'm just going to be totally so, honest. For almost a quarter of a century, I have just been able to bask in the grace that exudes from you everywhere you go. And it's so fun and life-giving for me, but it's beautiful to see it on display. Well, thank you. So I'll speak, but I'll be quick. Um, one of the, the reason I'm here for this part is because I'm actually uh, a lawyer. Sorry. And um, so part of that is the dynamic, as she just shared, this sort of transition that we undertook as a society to move from the great physician, which is what Jesus said he was, here to heal our sins, to the great judge, here to extract the payment that he deserves and requires for our sins. You see, that's a very different posture. And as an attorney, I'm here to explain kind of how the system of justice is set up to build nothing but intimidation and to demonstrate the power of the authorities to bind you and cast you into the punishment that you so richly and justly deserve, right? Everybody understands how that works? Yes? Are you scared of me? You shouldn't be. That, that's why I don't practice anymore. I, I'm not scary enough. But because the reason I'm not that great a lawyer is because I hate fear. I can't abide it. I sense it, and I want to rip it away from you and set you free. Because fear is what is keeping you, keeping us, from embracing the other and from fully embracing who he's designed us to be. A couple of quick quotes on fear. Bertrand Russell has a great one, and this may resonate right about now. Neither a man nor a crowd nor a nation can be trusted to act humanely or to think sanely under the influence of fear. might be true. This next one is more poetic, and this one I observe and, and I attempt to deflect and capture and prevent its spread as best I can. My goal is to be the fear vaccine. Cool? So come on over if you need that jab. 
fear passes from man to man unknowing, as one leaf passes its shudder to another. All at once, the whole tree is trembling, and there is no sign of the wind. Dear friends, we should not be like this. We are his, and he is ours. Our beloved is ours. He's sleeping in the boat, wondering, why, why are you so anxious, my beloved? So the last point I'm going to make on that, and then Leah's going to take over again, and you're grateful for that. There's the posture of the courtroom, right? So whenever you have a hearing or a trial, or even just a filing, which is called ex parte, if you want to know the Latin, because we have to create very difficult, dense language to keep you away so you pay us a lot. <laughs> you understand? It's quite a system we've concocted. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so up there's a picture of a courtroom, a couple of the outside, right? I mean, that's pretty imposing, mm-hmm. right? And then inside, those are the best. Like the ceiling is higher than this, ornate, judge is elevated with the gavel and the robe. And every time I had a client, we had to go to a hearing. Of course, you tell them how to dress, their very best. And only, only, if you've ever had a hearing, your lawyer should have told you this, only answer the questions asked. We're going to keep everything that we don't want them to know, that we're legally kept, able to keep, from, from them, don't start blathering on up there, and maybe you'll spill the truth out. Just say the script. Say the script. And we are saying the script to God because we think he's judging us. And all he wants to do is heal us, which leads us to the hospital. So our, our next slide, I hope you can see the contrast. And... I've actually had the privilege of spending quite a bit of time in, in this particular hospital. But if you, will, if you will follow me into the importance of seeing the difference of these two metaphors, and if you can picture yourself, if you've been with a doctor in a hospital, often, rather than your finest clothes, you're stripped down naked with just a real thin robe on. And you and a do, big open space in the back. And you do this willingly. Okay, let me, nobody ties you down, holds you, and throws this silly robe on you. Nope, you did this on your own accord. Then they come, they ask you all kinds of questions in which you answer even more than they asked. They don't want to know maybe the color texture of certain things. But you're happy to share because you want to get well and you want to get healed. And so the problem is if, if this kind of difference exists in our theology and our understanding of who God is, you can see it's going to change our approach and so where we have this cosmic God in the sky ready to slap his gavel of justice down on anything wrong that we've done, we're going to dress like we don't normally dress. We're going to say only what we need to say, and we're going to hide what we can behind our back. And the worst part is often we see Jesus as our defense attorney before God. And he's going to make things right with the big guy up there with the gavel. And Jesus tells us, I, I am my father. Whatever you see me doing, this is what the father looks like. 
we don't need a defense attorney to go before God. We have Jesus, the great physician, showing us he is the hands of our fatherly healer. He is the hands of healing for the one who has been carrying our burdens since the beginning of time. And so this picture is very, very important. And the other thing I just want to say, I've had the most incredible experience at Seattle Children's. They are the most gracious people. They are so kind. Everything is on our terms. Are you ready for this? Do you need more time? This last time I went, there was a whole questionnaire. When you leave here, do you have a safe place to go? What, do, you, do you know where you're going to be next month? Do you have enough food? And so, so our healing, we get to be participants in our healing. Unlike, unlike this God that just we're, we're at his mercy. We're at our, he draws us along like our God in the garden does. Revealing himself to us as we reveal ourselves to him. And we find ourselves in this beautiful, intimate relationship that nobody can understand but say, where is he? <laughs> where, where can we follow you to find him? And just like in the opening that we read in Song of Songs, they want to know, where's this God that you're talking about? Take us to him. So there's a woman in the Bible. She's actually a dear friend of mine, even though we lived a few thousand years apart. Um, am I, am I there yet? Am I jumping there. ahead? Oh, I am there. Yeah. I'm on track. Woo. Okay. You don't have to. You know what? Well, I, I, I'm skipping through scripture, which is terrible. You're just going to have to read John three seventeen on your own. I'm going to read it. Might not even show up. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in the, in order that the world might be saved through him. All right. Now we go to my dear friend. So do we have a picture? Ah, oh, look at her. She actually didn't look like that. I have no idea what she looked like. But she's a dear friend of mine because John chapter 4 is a place that I would find myself going when I didn't know what was going on. And it's my time to just sit with Jesus. So we're going to sit together with Jesus, with this extraordinary woman. Her name was actually Fotini. You can read about her. There's, there's writings about her even just outside of the Bible. But um, Fotini... When we meet her in John, Jesus comes to her, and she's at the well. She is not at a garden. She is at a dry place coming, and she is thirsty, and she is coming for water, and she's coming at a time of day when nobody is there because she doesn't want to talk to anybody. She's dealt with rejection. She's dealt with, I'm sure, all kinds of deception. I guarantee you she's been used. When Jesus says, go ahead and go bring your husband, she actually gives him the information. This shows she's putting, she's starting to answer with vulnerability, right? She could have just said, oh, he's busy right now. But because she's with the God of the garden, she opens up and she says, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, it's not, it hasn't been going so well. And he's like, I know. <laughs> Let me tell you. I know. You've been through five husbands. I get it. You know rejection. Basically, that's what it is. You've been through loss. You've been through trauma. You've been through rejection. I think you're wonderful. I think you're beautiful. And I'm here because you're here. Nobody else is here. You're here and you are worth coming for. So I just, I have my dear friend Fotini that shows us 
We don't always have to go to the garden. Sometimes, quite often, the God of the garden, he comes to us. And this is our time as we sit here together as a church community to give him permission to ask the hard questions that we haven't wanted the big judge with the gavel to know. But we can trust the Jesus at the well. And I even, I can't tell you, I've sat at that well with him and we've just stared down at the water when I haven't known what to say. I don't know what's going on, but I know that well of life, that water that is him, it's, it's whatever I need and I see it. I don't know exactly what that water is going to be used for, but it's there and he's with me. And so I just would love to invite you I'm, to partake of this. And um, so I think we have another beautiful example of a woman that Jesus comes to. Oh, never mind. No. I'm going to read that. Okay. But I'm snot. I'm snotty. <laughs> Good thing we're talking about bodily functions in hospitals. Okay. And we sure can. <laughs> More than you would like. I'm a little free in my house. We're not even that, that old yet. <laughs> okay. So... I'm going to read, and I'd love it if you read with me, because I just love this woman in this exchange. John 4, 25 through 30. The woman said to him, I know know that Messiah Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And that is a picture of vulnerability right there. That fast turnaround of guarded to opening up. And now she was a courageous spreader of the gospel. She was actually martyred because Nero was like, shut up talking about Jesus. You're ruined things for me. And she's like, I'm sorry. I can't. I have to tell people about Jesus. And she did until her very life was taken from her. So anyway, she is awesome and I love her. And Derek's going to tell us about another awesome woman. I'm going to tell you about my favorite woman in the Bible, Mary Magdalene. We are in John chapter 20. And this passage is probably the most transformative passage I've ever encountered in my lifelong journey as a Christian. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Picture Mary's transformation. She had walked in the garden with Jesus, and her life had been completely turned upside down. Out of all of her experiences, she finally met a man who treated her with the dignity and love and equality that she desperately longed for. And now he's gone. Not only is he dead, but they've taken his body. And I just just have to see him one more time. And... Interestingly, she's asking the same question that our Song of Solomon asks. Where has he gone? Where has my beloved gone? And so as we continue, this is the best part. I'm just going to read it just for time, okay? 
You can read it if you want as I go. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, sorry, I the mic thing, you know, one at the head and other at the foot. They asked her, I love the angels. Don't you love the angels when they show up? Don't be afraid. Why, why are you freaking out? <laughs> or, woman, why are you crying? We're clueless. We're just hanging out. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was him yet. So we're in a garden, the gardener of all time, who was at the Garden of Eden, is here again in this garden and in your life and in mine, tending, nurturing, pruning, healing, growing. He asks her, I mean, these guys, why are they picking on her? (laughs) Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, and as our good friend Pastor Justin has said, she was right. She wasn't mistaken about his identity. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she knew. And some of us have been called so many different things by so many different people, but when he calls us, who we really are. Our heart knows, and we can't help but run to his arms. And so that's what she does. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then Jesus is like, whoa, you can't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is an odd moment. Jesus says, you can't touch me for whatever reason because I've not yet ascended to my Father. What that means is he died, went down as we know, took the gates of death and hell, led the saints out of Hades. He's he's not back up yet. So remember like when he was announced that he was being born, all those angels, the heavenly hosts and the shepherds and all that, they're waiting Like, come on, you did it. Hold on, guys. I know you've got the big giant ice cream cake that I love to celebrate that we won. But you all remember Mary? I just got to stop real quick because she's alone in the garden. And I want to make sure she knows that it's okay. That's the kind of God who loves you, who stops all of heaven to let one woman who had been mistreated and cast out by everyone else say, no, I got you. And so, as we start at the beginning, the juxtaposition of fear and love, and our desperate hearts cry as a couple, as humans, as friends, is that we would grow in love and shrink in fear. And know that fear leaves when our hearts, from our heart of hearts, which is actually the heart of Christ, we fully can say, as Solomon did, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Will you pray for us? I would love to pray for us. Dear God, right now we are sitting 
in this garden of a love we can't even fully comprehend. But we feel it and we believe you. So God, help us to say yes to your questions. Help us to open those parts that we've maybe tried to hide. You see them. You love us. Thank you that you beckon us into a relationship of intimacy that requires vulnerability because you want nothing less than us. The ones that you have created that hold your heart, that captivate your heart. That's who we are. That's who we are. Together in this room, as church body, we just say we love you. Help us to love you more. Take our hand. Take us on this journey. And uh, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you call us to be participants in this beautiful love story. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.